Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we continue to peruse our listener library for suggestions from you, our mysterious listeners. David and Colleen write, Please consider doing an episode on the Quiet Please story, Let the Lilies Consider. Really enjoy the podcast and live performances. David and Colleen get extra points for sending us their suggestion on an old-timey postcard featuring a vintage photograph of the Union Station in downtown Minneapolis. Quiet, Please debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting Network on June 8, 1947. In September 1948, the series switched to ABC and remained there until its final broadcast on June 25, 1949. In total, 106 episodes were made, every one of them written by the show's creator, Willis Cooper. Before Quiet, Please, Cooper worked for NBC in Chicago, where he created one of radio's most acclaimed horror programs, Lights Out. Today, Lights Out is strongly associated with Cooper's successor, Arch Obler. But Obler was always quick to give Cooper credit. According to Obler, radio drama began at midnight in the middle 30s on one of the upper floors of Chicago's Merchandise Mart. The pappy was a rotund writer by the name of Willis Cooper. Nothing like a fat joke to take the sting out of a compliment. Quiet Please was known for its minimalism, employing sound effects and music sparingly. Each episode starred Ernest Chappell, who narrated the bulk of the story, speaking directly to the listener in a way that was conversational and intimate. The combination of Cooper's words and Chappell's voice created a world that was relatable yet distressingly surreal. Today's story is no exception. Let's listen to Let the Lilies Consider from Quiet, Please, originally broadcast October 10th, 1948. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Let the Lilies Consider. Yes, I quite understand. I quite understand. Well, your stenographer is taking down everything I say. You and you are witnesses. When the stenographer transcribes his notes, I'm to sign them and and that is my confession, is that right? And whatever I say may be used against me, is, is that right? Oh, I'll sign them all right. Where do you want me to start? At the beginning, I suppose. 
record, my name is James R. James. Roderick. 41, third-generation American college graduate. UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles. No occupation. No, not unemployed. No occupation. Well, I have a small but adequate income. You have my address. I was married in... Oh, uh, Gretchen. Gretchen McMonish. Yes, Gretchen is a diminutive of Margaret. Margaret McMonish. An orphan. Where's your wife now, James? Please don't try to trap me, Lieutenant. I've told you at least 20 times where she is. Tell me again. Right there. There. Look, James, we dug that place up twice now. Your wife isn't there. Where is she? I've told what you. What did you do with her? I didn't do anything with her, Lieutenant. I've told you that. All right. Go on. I met her at school in 1930. Did you bury her in the flower bed there? May I go on? Answer my question. Did you bury her? No, I did not. Then why do you keep saying she's there? Because you killed her. No. Well, she's dead. What killed her? I've told you she isn't dead. You can't prove it, James. I can prove it, Lieutenant, but you won't believe it. Why don't you prove it, then? Shall I go on with my statement? Did you plant that lily there to mark her grave, James? I didn't plant that lily. How come it grows there? How come it's so much bigger than the others? Answer me. There were other lilies there alongside it before you and your men dug them up. James, I think I know why that lily is bigger than the others. You do? Yes, and so do you. You're wrong, Lieutenant. You know why we left that lily standing, James, when we dug up the others? Yes. Because we know what's under it there. Because we figured the lily would remind you, would keep you thinking about your wife buried there. Because we hoped it might lead you to a confession. It won't, Lieutenant. You know, I have an idea that that lily there is going to hang you, James. No, it isn't. That lily loves me. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. What are you talking about? We consider the lilies and some of us love them. Do you suppose the lilies consider us and sometimes return our love? I don't think you'll get by with an insanity plea, James. I don't know very much about flowers. I don't know anything about them from the standpoint of books. I'm not interested in stamens and pistils and the anatomy of flowers. Well, I'm interested in their souls, in their... Yes, in their souls. I believe flowers love and hate just as people do. Shall we get along with your statement? Yes. They love us and, and hate us in the proportions of the love or the hate we have for them. I said I've always loved flowers. My wife, Gretchen, she hated them. And they love me. Gretchen. You know, James, I declare I think flowers don't like me at all. I can't do a thing with them. <laughs> You'll learn. I I'll show you how to handle them. I don't think I want to handle them. James, must we have so many flowers? Why? I like them, dear. But so many of them. Well, I haven't anything else to do but raise flowers. I know. That's, that's what bothers me. I don't like to see you wasting all your time puttering around flower beds every single hour. Goodness, I think it's just kind of wicked, James, when there's so many other things you could be doing. 
Aren't you happy? Of course I'm happy, but I could be happier if I didn't have to compete with a lot of silly flowers. Well, I don't think they're silly. Besides, there's so many lilies. Well, they're so beautiful. They're so depressing. I love them. That's what bothers me, James. Why? Well, I'm... I'm jealous of them, James. Gretchen. James, you do love me more than you love the flowers, don't you? Isn't that a pretty foolish question? James. What? Look. Look at the lilies. Well, what do you... Look at them. They're listening. They're waiting to hear what you say. And I looked. And I tell you, there was a silence in the garden there that, that you could almost hear. And the lilies around us were leaning forward, leaning toward us as we stood there. And there was an attitude of expectancy about them as their graceful stems bent toward us, trembling. They were listening. And suddenly Gretchen broke from my arms and ran sobbing into the house, trampling their beautiful, delicate bodies underfoot as she ran. No, I, I didn't follow her. And I stood for a long time in the twilight, considering these lilies of the field. And they watched me, considering me in silence as I lifted up the murdered flowers from the marks of Gretchen's shoes in the soil and wept a moment for them. And I never did answer Gretchen's question. I could have answered it, but she never asked me again. Perhaps she thought she knew the answer. So that's why you killed her. Because you thought more of the flowers than you did of her. I didn't kill her. Go on. I did love Gretchen. I love her now more than I ever did. It sounds as if you did. We were very happy for a long time that winter. There are no flowers in the winter, and she had no cause to feel neglected. It was very pleasant here in the house. But the spring came, and the buds appeared on the trees. And one day, she brought up the subject again. James, what about the flowers this year? I'm going to start on the gardens tomorrow. I wish... Wish what, darling? Do we have to have the flowers again? Well, we don't have to have them, but I want them. It's been so nice all winter without them. I've missed them. I'd hoped you'd maybe forgotten them, James. Forgotten them? My darling, I, I don't believe I could live without them. If they all died, what would you do? I don't know. Would you die? Well, what are you talking about, Gretchen? I'm being very foolish and very silly, James, but I don't want the flowers. I hate flowers. Now, dear. I hate them. You mustn't say that, Gretchen. They'll hate you. That's just what's the matter. You've let those flowers become an obsession with you. You've begun to feel that they're alive, that they have feelings. You're letting these things take you away from me, and I won't have it. Gretchen, you're being... I said I was being silly. I know I am. But it's the truth just the same. Oh, we could do so many things this summer. Go to so many places. But I don't want to go places, Gretchen. You did before you went so crazy over flowers. Over those horrible lilies. Darling, they're so beautiful. You used to say I was beautiful. Well, you are. But not as beautiful as the lilies. Am I? Why, dear, you're, you're like a lily yourself. Your skin is so white. Your yellow hair. And that green dress. Don't you compare me with one of those things. Do you hear me? I'm not like a flower. I'll never be like a flower. Dear, please, don't. James. 
do know what I think. Sometimes I think there's something wrong with your mind. Sometimes I think you're a little crazy. Do you realize that I'm your wife, do you? Or do you think you're married to those flowers? I won't have it. You've got to choose between those dreadful flowers and me. I wondered if my mind was all right. There's nothing wrong with loving flowers, is there? Almost everyone loves them. But for my wife to be jealous of them, I wondered for a moment whether it was my mind or, or hers. Yes, I did spend too much time in the gardens, I thought. And I resolved manfully to change my way, to devote only a few hours a day to cultivation and admiration of my precious lilies. I would compromise. I would try to follow my wife's wishes, try to remember her first instead of the flowers. I reckoned without the flowers. I planted only half as many this year. And Gretchen watched sullenly from the house. They came up eagerly. And I could have sworn that there were twice as many as I planted. Gretchen wouldn't speak to me for days at a time. And mornings when I awoke, I would sometimes find her staring out the window at the lushness of the garden. And in her eyes, I saw a look of awful hatred. It was her attitude, I suppose, that, that led me to spend more and more time in the garden. And the flowers rewarded me. They were more beautiful, more gracious, more abundant than I've ever seen them. And they returned the loving care I gave them. They poured out their love for me in waves of scent. And their leaves caressed my hands as I bent over them. And as I labored among them, they, they bent their perfect heads to brush against my cheek. And for long hours, I could forget Gretchen, my wife. Until a rustle among the lilies caused me to look up and see my wife standing in a window in the house gazing out hatefully at us. And the lilies and I looked back at her with something of fear in our hearts. And the garden grew and flourished beyond my fondest hopes. Slowly, I came to the realization that my garden of lilies was increasing in size. That there were hundreds more than I'd set out in the spring. And I smiled on them happily. And the lilies smiled back at me. The lilies loved me. But there was a summer night and a full moon. And I sat on the porch alone and dreamed of... What did I dream of? There was a voice. A murmurous voice above the little breeze in the garden. And the voice was without words. And yet it was the voice of a loved one. Of a lover. And it spoke to me sadly. Caressing me. In sounds that did not need the form of words. And I sat there. Alone in the darkness and listened. And at last the words came. James! I love you. Oh! Why, why, Gretchen! James, I can't stand it any longer. 
Why, what's the matter, Gretchen? I told you a long time ago that you've got to choose between me and those flowers. Now, dear, I... I'm not going to live in this house like a prisoner any longer. Those flowers are driving me mad. I never see you from morning till night. You've forgotten all about me. I, I don't mean a thing to you. Well, that's not true, Gretchen. I, I do love you. But you love those... those flowers more. Gretchen, I... Well? I love you. And what are you going to do about it? What shall I do? Do you want the flowers or do you want me? I... I... Choose, James. Love you, love you, love you. Gretchen. Love you, love you. I can't. Love I can't. Gretchen turned away without another word and went into the house. I could not move. The chanting in my ears had become a hypnotic lullaby now. And my eyes closed and I think I slept. And then suddenly I was awakened by Gretchen's shrill laughter somewhere and the flaring of a brilliant light. garden was a sheet of flame. Among the lilies, Gretchen dashed with a great torch she'd fashioned of a broom soaked with kerosene. And the noble tall lilies withered in its blast as she thrust it in their faces. And above the crackling of the flames above her hysterical laughter, I could hear the keening of strange lost voices, and I could make out words above the sound of the catastrophe that my wife had begun, and they were sad beyond belief. And I roused myself and ran to the garden, but I was too late. Like some avenging demon, my wife stood triumphant amidst the scorched and blistered dying flowers. And she laughed again. And now she thought she'd won. And there were no more flowers to be jealous of. And when the sun rose in the morning... I went sadly out of the house to contemplate the miserable remains of my loved ones. It was as if nothing had happened in that dreadful night. The lilies that I had last seen smoldering in the moonlight had raised their smiling heads again, and there was no sign of fire about them. And listen to this, you who refuse to believe that flowers, too, live and reason and love. There were thousands more lilies now than there'd been the night before. They had burst the bounds of the garden and they extended halfway across the graveled walk that bordered the garden. And from the house came the despairing sobbing of the woman who had tried desperately to destroy the flowers that loved me. I had feared for my wife's sanity. Now I feared for my own. It was hours before she could do more than weep. At last she spoke to me. James, I'm going to leave here. No, Gretchen. I've got to. I didn't believe, but... Uh, I won't let you go. You don't love me. Why should I stay? Save one. They'll never forgive me. They'll kill me. No. James, I want you to listen to me. 
I love you. I'll always love you. I... I love you, Gretchen. But you love the flowers more than you do me. I... No. No, I don't. You don't mean that. James, they're going to have you. I tried to destroy them, and they can't be destroyed. If I don't get away from here... Oh, I can't let you go, Gretchen. I love you, James. Stay. What if I do stay? I'll die. They'll have you. No. They hate me. Gretchen. They love you. What can I do? Well, I don't know, but... You can't fight them. You won't fight them. I know I, I can't fight them. They love me. And I love you, James. It's too late now to choose. I won't let them have you. I love you. Look at the window. I looked at the window. Outside stood another lily. There had been none there before this morning. There it stood. And as I raised my head, I could see more and more of them all the way across the lawn, overflowing the garden walls. Thousands of them, each with its flower cup, turned toward the house, each one listening. And I turned back to Gretchen, miserable and afraid. She'd risen from the bed and was standing before her dresser. Gretchen, I called, for I knew what was in the second drawer of the dresser. There's no other way, James. Put it down, Gretchen. We'll think of a way. There's no other way. I don't know how this has happened, but... I believe now. I believe they love you, James, and they hate me. Gretchen, no. Put it down. No, James. This is the way out. It's the only way out. I won't let them have you. I won't give you up. And she raised the pistol until it pointed straight at my heart. And I said once more, no, Gretchen. It has to be this way, James. And then I'll go out and give myself up to them. Darling, I love you. before I could reconstruct what had happened. And I lay there thinking and wondering what had happened to Gretchen. Was I to die here alone? Was she dead too? And then I heard the voice again. Gretchen. You will not die. Gretchen has not died. We love you. We want you to be happy. You love Gretchen. Gretchen lives. Gretchen loves you. And I drifted away again into the gathering darkness with a voice love still you. ringing. Love my you. Love you. Fine story, James. Yes. You didn't tell us before that you'd been shot. Here's the scar. Mm, yeah. What became of your wife? That's a 
Remarkably beautiful lily there, uh, the big one. Uh, the one you couldn't remove when you were digging. Well? Gretchen was gold and white like a lily. Gretchen's green dress was the color of leaves. What are you trying to tell me, James? Do you... Do you see something on the stem of that lily, Lieutenant? Where? Uh, uh, just below the flower. Let me see. It's a ring. Our wedding ring. How'd it get there? Gretchen. What? I... I told you she was here with us. Darling. Love you. Love you. Love you. I didn't get it signed, Chief. There wasn't anybody there to sign it. I'm telling you. I heard the voice myself. It kept saying, love you, love you, love you. That's right. We looked around to see where it was coming from, and when we turned around again, James was gone. I don't know. All I know is there were two lilies there now, close together, great big ones. And they, uh... They looked as if they had their arms around each other. was called Let the Lilies Consider. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper. James, the man who spoke to you, was Ernest Chappell. And Kathleen Cordell played Gretchen. The voice of the Lilies was Peggy Stanley, and James Bowles was the police lieutenant. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now, for a word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Of course, you will never meet any of the characters in tonight's story. They didn't exist before I thought them up, and they're not imitations of anybody. Next week, Quiet Please story will be called Vahini Taiti. And so, until next week at this time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Quiet Please comes to you from New York. That was Let the Lilies Consider from Quiet, Please, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a request coming to us from... David and Colleen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From Minneapolis. Yes. We sent it on an old-timey vintage postcard, which is... Really cool, and also, wow, that's a lot of work. I don't, yeah. <laughs> it's not hard to buy a postcard. For me, I don't think of anything like that about anybody <laughs> ever, and I just, I'm always blown away, like, wow, you took the time to do yeah. something. Oh, like I really that. appreciate it. However, yeah, it did absolutely. freak out my wife, who was like, wait, <laughs> do your listeners know where we live? And I had to assure her that David and Colleen were probably very nice people. Yeah. And not parked outside of our house. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. And the thing is, when someone suggests a show that I love, I'm very happy because there are turn-tos, like, oh, we can't do another suspense. We've done a thousand. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I just can't keep going to the well of the stuff I love. So when it's a listener request, like, yay, now I don't feel bad about grabbing a quiet, please, (laughs) because I love, love, love quiet, please. I love Ernest Chappell. And uh, so I was very excited.
That being said, I never heard this one. And we're going to find out how I feel after talking to you two, because I am <laughs> on the fence. Okay. There are things about it that I get and I like and I understand what they're going for. But I, God help me, could not get Little Shop of Horrors out of my head. <laughs> I think that is a hurdle for this story. Mm-hmm. It also has a hurdle with us, because I remember over a year ago when we discussed the dark fantasy episode Demon Tree, we all talked about how we don't find plants scary. I did not find the scary part of the story to be the lilies. The behavior of the lilies is weird and unsettling, but the main thing was just the unreliable narrator just like, trying to find your footing on what is actually happening here mm-hmm. and i say that in a really written well way yeah just leaves you uncertain of who to believe and who to trust and creates that ongoing sense of suspense of anything can happen for the most part right <laughs> up until the end which i well, did not care for let's do this backwards <laughs> we'll then. get to the end let's or do, do this i backwards start at the since, end uh, since we've already brought it up because the end contradicts everything that you just said that you liked about it yes it yeah. slams the door on ambiguity and it declares james to be a reliable narrator and this is the gospel truth no pun intended <laughs> yes <laughs> Definitively, these people became flowers. That's the story. That's not a great ending. Yeah, it is the less interesting version of this story is that they became flowers. First of all, you know, we said just seconds ago, you know, plants don't scare us anymore. Anymore. Scare anymore. anymore. <laughs> Let me give we you all went to therapy. <laughs> okay, together. <laughs> Let me give you some. Wizard of Oz, the trees. Come on. Apple throwing jackasses. Oh, man. But the point Blind is... monkeys, man. I couldn't take it. <laughs> but is that scary that the plants are sentient, coming alive? I will say that at one point, I started to buy in because of what they were saying. And the, they were talking, love me. Yeah, love, love me. me. But I really wanted this to be ambiguous if this is in his head or not. Yeah. But it, when it becomes absolute that it's real and they're turned into plants, we go, oh... Yeah, it is not scary to me that flowers are saying, love me, love me. It's that this guy is hearing a voice in his head Yeah, so strongly that it's affecting his behavior. Correct. Uh, and he can't tell when he's been shot or not, or if his wife set their garden on fire or not, or how many of these flowers there are. That's what really made this story engaging and weird and compelling. Mm-hmm. That's a horror image that I do like, though, is after she has burned... The garden, and the next day, not only do the dead flowers come back, but there are more of them. And at least in my mind, I imagined that they were just surrounding the house, but they're beautiful lilies. Yeah. And so there's this weird image that we don't see a lot in old time radio or in much horror at all this horror of abundance. It's not the fact that it is a flower or a plant, but that there are just so many of them. Yeah. And they're beautiful things, but yeah. there are too many beautiful things. <laughs> Which I think was an interesting way to describe anxiety or mm. fear or this dread of what these lilies represent. We've run into this before in this podcast, not being 100% sure of something culturally of the time. Mm-hmm. But I know growing up uh, with a florist, my mother, that lilies are a funeral flower. And I want to know, and I didn't research it, but have they always been a funeral flower uh, because if they have been, then it's an interesting choice. I feel like in the time, because as with so many things, I gauge truth by Warner Brothers cartoons at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that it was a gag at the time to have lilies 
Yeah, just you're right. Yeah, indicative. hold them to your chest, fall over your Yeah, head. you're right. Yeah. Okay, so so that mm-hmm. being said, then that's an obvious choice, the funeral flower. Well, obviously, this all comes from the Matthew 6.28 verse that James quotes mm-hmm. in here of consider the lilies, which I think is also part of why the lilies became funeral flowers. Oh, right, to, right, right, right. Okay, um, you're right. I see that. And to me, there's a lot buried in Cooper's choice to use this verse as a starting point for his story. And this is a hugely popular verse in just pop culture. There's the 63 film Lilies of the Field starring Sidney Poitier that was actually adapted for the screen by James Poe, who also adapted Three Skeleton Key and wrote Bloodbath, which we liked so much several episodes ago. So there's a little nerdy connection. And it's tangential to the podcast, but I do want to mention my favorite use of this quote in pop culture, which is from an episode of Star Trek. Eric, Star Trek nerd, can you tell me which episode? Yes, it was uh, All Our Yesterdays. (laughs) Good guess, but it was The Trouble with Tribbles. And I remember because it's one of my very favorite quotes from Spock. Um, And he's talking about the Tribbles, and he says, They remind me of the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. But they seem to eat a great deal. I see no practical use for them. (laughs) (laughs) Horror in abundance. Yes, right? You know, it's interesting you brought up Star Trek, because I just saw the Corbinite maneuver the other night, and it's the same thing. It's a brilliant show until the end. (laughs) Until until the kid shows up and starts talking about Tranya. I think we can all agree that the endings are the hardest things to pull off. And I think we're spoiled by Quiet Please because Cooper is so good at an ending. But there's so much in here that's good. But since we're talking about the ending, I'm going to throw something at you guys because I kept trying to dig deeper into this to try to come up with some reading of this that helped me get through the ending. And it is all buried in this verse because I know that biblical allusions come up a lot in Cooper's uh, work. And so I thought, oh, let's try to translate this from that standpoint as a theological story. And suddenly when I did that, I had this revelation, no pun intended, um, that you could read this and that ending as a conversion story. Oh. If you're looking at the lilies as these creations of God, right, that are so beautiful, they worry not. So James becomes infatuated. He's in love with these flowers and his wife is jealous. There's this weird thing when one person gets involved in a religion and the other person isn't. And and here's this aha moment when I had is that... You guys can't see these guys' eyes right now, but they, they are essentially. Go on. No, I'm. I'm they are essentially raptured into the lilies at the end. They do not die. Neither one of them. They vanish and reappear, reunited in love in the kingdom of the lilies at the very end. And the lilies assure Gretchen in that moment after she has shot James that, you know, we do not hate you. We love you. We want you to be happy. We want you to be with us and be with James. You are not dead. She is not dead. Yep. You, I'm going to give you a again. lot of credit here, man. That's pretty good. That's some serious thinking. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to like it, but I think there is evidence within the body of Willis Cooper's work to say that he might be coming at it from a theological point of view. It doesn't mean... Done. Great show. <laughs> no one can have any qualms with it. It's a reading of it. That is a, a solid argument. It certainly changes how I feel about the ending. No? No. No, I mean, it doesn't change how I feel about it. I, <laughs> I think it is a good explanation of why the ending might be the way it is. I will say that it makes me feel different about it. If that's what his intention was, then it's more interesting. But I am with you, Tim, that the psychological... <laughs> 
You love a man going insane. Cuckoo, yes. Yeah. And you I'm not arguing it. with Tim. A lot of what makes this episode mesmerizing is that unreliable narrator. And I love mm-hmm. that aspect of it. And I was initially disappointed in the very certain ending. Because we're moving backwards. At the very top of yeah. this, I mean, just the first few sentences that Chapel is saying is such a perfect example of that tone that you were talking about that is just... I'm recording this for a confession, and it's so conversational and so, I mean, just a few sentences of, you're my witness, you could record this, and so simple, and makes everything after that so believable, relatively. I go along for it, like, yeah, that guy's wife is a flower now. Yeah, and (laughs) it's a combination of Cooper's script and Chapel's performance that become this linchpin of inviting you into this world that you can believe in, no matter how weird it gets. I also love the opening because I think it is this really brilliant subversion of confession narratives, which we recently talked about a couple episodes ago in World of Darkness. I think, Tim, you brought <laughs> it up. making fun of, like, you are great at telling a story and terrible at giving evidence. Yeah, because often people confess in old-time radio and in movies and everything in the form of a story, in which it would not be what we, I think, as listeners expect out of an actual criminal confession. It's like, (laughs) did you do it? Where is the body? How did you do it? Mm -hmm. And we have this opening in which uh, James starts telling his story, which starts with when he met Gretchen and where they went to school. And this is at odds with the policeman's much more realistic demand for an immediate confession of the crime with specifics. And throughout the opening, the policeman just continues to interrupt him and express this impatience with the way James wants to tell the story. Uh And it's disorienting because James is telling the story. You don't even know the policeman's there. And when he suddenly breaks in and this narration becomes a scene, I think that makes for really exciting radio. Yeah. Plus that added level of he's kind of making fun of how a story works <laughs> and how a confession works. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way through it. Uh, James is saying, you know, I met her at school in 1930 and the policeman says, did you bury her in the flower bed? You know, <laughs> it's, this, it's this grappling with two different ways to tell a story. I said at the top of this that I was on the fence. And there were things I struggled with, and I've been listening to the both of you. And, and Tim, I think what I struggled with was exactly what you and I agree upon, is we really wanted it to be a psychological uh, a man going down the rabbit hole, or at least ambiguous. For what me, is it's happening? Just, it's just fun to be in a well-written story that I have no idea what's going on or what's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And not because I have doubt in the narrative. It's just because the narrative is so open it could be anything but as we've been sitting here and talking through this i do really like the things joshua's brought to the table about understated meaning and it really seems to make sense especially when you consider the bible verse that's been used Mm -hmm. in this the fact that there's lilies the fact of what he has written before it does very much sound like a uh, a story of uh afterlife transcendence or yeah there's a quote that tells me that cooper is saying this is a story about philosophy and it is fantasy. There's going to be no realism here. James says, I don't know very much about flowers. I don't know anything about them from the standpoint of books. I'm not interested in the anatomy of flowers. I'm interested in their souls. And to yeah, me, yeah, that yeah. tells you that that's what this story is about. He's saying, don't look for anything interesting. <laughs> there are going to be giant flowers wearing wedding rings by the end, guys. So hold, <laughs> hold on tight. <laughs> Did you see that coming? I knew the wedding rings were on. I knew I they not. were. Gonna, I did not. I no. I don't know why. Yeah, I had nothing were just to like, go. That up. old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> Shh. 
lilies and wedding rings. I knew it. I, and they, oh, there's mm. wedding rings. I'm, well, of course there is. That's how they're going to know. I love that Cooper does assure us that this is not based on real people or a real story. <laughs> I'm very glad to find that out because uh, my daughter just watched Blair Witch Project for the first time in her life and uh, with a friend. And I said, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you can watch that. She's asked permission at 15. And the thing comes on the screen at the top says, you know, these hikers were lost four years ago and a year later, you know, whatever. They found their footage. And she goes, wait, is this true? And I said, Yeah. <laughs> absolutely true story and that's why i hesitated showing you this is their footage and she went oh and so i came back downstairs three hours later and there were two 15 year old girls clinging to the ceiling <laughs> and i let them off the hook but point being is knowing that this was not a real story really helped me out through this because i was having a hard time sleeping no, not at all. <laughs> I don't know how I came around to that. Just parenthetic, because we're on the topic. Well, I saw Blair Witch Project in the uh, Uptown Theater here in Minneapolis. I was up in the balcony and watched it, and it was such a big media deal that after I had seen it, I sat through Blair Witch Project and then was walking down the stairs from the balcony and was just a little jittery and nauseous because that's the found footage style and it's kind of newish at the time. Right. And then there was media crew there, like news crew. So I immediately walking out of Blair Witch Project to see a camera in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm going to throw up on you. <laughs> and someday I'll tell the story about how I almost did that to Brian Setzer. So anyway. Wow. Yeah. I almost threw up on him. <laughs> Tune in for our 100th episode. Eric throws up on Brian Setzer. <laughs> it's a good story. I didn't. I got close. Um, Sorry, David and Colleen. I, We're getting older. We tend we to. We want our postcard back. <laughs> I will say this. I was on the fence when we came in, but I will say now that having listened to us discuss this, I kind of really like it a lot more than I did <laughs> coming into this podcast. I like that concept. I will say it's not as suspenseful or as visceral as some yeah, of the yeah. really frightening quiet yeah. please can be uh, yeah there it is plants well we've talked before uh, particularly when we talked about northern lights how willis cooper sort of walks that fine line yep. between the ridiculous and the sublime <laughs> yeah. right and it's just but a step and depending on the listener i think the giant married lilies is that <laughs> step too far in my initial With li- their listen arms around each other yep. yeah that was a step too far. However, there are lots of moments in here that just walk that fine line perfectly. Uh, last week, we were talking <laughs> about the sealed book um, and the ridiculous, kind of slightly disturbing, weird scene at the end when he puts the giant yes. hands around his neck and it's kind of like, oh, get a room. Um, <laughs> right? And it's really over the top and weird. But there's a very similar scene, but done in a more naturalistic, disturbing way here. And that's when Gretchen catches... James in the garden with the lilies caressing them and mm-hmm. professing his love to them. And when she catches him, he's like flustered as if she caught him in bed with another woman. <laughs> and he's just out in the flower garden. And the whole way it's presented and performed, it's awkward and weird. But then you go, it's about flowers, not right. sex. But, ugh. <laughs> and it is, it right. is somehow really an absurd scenario, yet somehow feels uncomfortable 
uncomfortably real, yeah, which the, is Cooper's magical strength. Sort of mundane innocence of the flowers makes their relationship seem much more weird than... Yeah. Uh, uh. Can we throw this to the vote? Yeah. yeah! I think we're ready. I will say that the last part of this that bothers me, which will affect how I look at this, is that very few stories do I like that are long narration stories. It's mm-hmm. not as mm-hmm. interesting to me. They don't work for me as well as action in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um I think a great example of that, and you're going to have to help me out, Witch's Tale. Devil Doctor. Devil Doctor. Devil Doctor. There's no narration. That's a scream. Go in the hall. <laughs> it's just, Open you, that door. Close that door. Open that door. Close that door. <laughs> you know, I, I like that. I think that I Love a Mystery, uh, one of my favorites of mm-hmm. all time, has a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Not as narrative until Jack decides to tell you what the answer yeah. is. So that bugs me. But Quiet Please does that a lot. However, I think there's more in this one than normal for some reason, or some reason it didn't work for me. I think it just didn't work for you. There is no mm-hmm. more, no less here. There's actually probably less than anything yeah. in the Forbel board, honestly. You're right. Forbel board has that long narration. So I, I, I would say that I think it's great, and I would recommend it, and it stands the test of time, but it is not a classic. I will call it a classic, even if it's not my favorite of The Quiet Pleases. Quiet Pleases. But just because... Shut it, up, you... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because it does generate the kind of conversation we had. Of there's a lot to there's a lot at. under the surface of this one. Mm-hmm. It is interesting in contrast to other quiet pleases. Um, <laughs> oh man, uh, because Ernest Chappell's character is so odd in this one, when he's usually kind of an everyman kind of character, mm-hmm. and here he's really out to sea, which is interesting for a little variety. It's just amazing. You literally saying this in the moment, I still have a sort of shocked moment that, oh yeah, it's the same actor in every <laughs> I know that rationally, but when you say that and I start to compare things in the horrible war, the Beezer's cellar and all that, and I, it's amazing. And it's not like he changes his voice. It's no. not like he does something really dramatic. He's just an amazing actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a what warm, warm and dangerous blanket. blanket right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say... I almost think I want this subcategory of lesser classic. <laughs> like, like this, you're right. There's just so much to dig into, and there's probably way more than what we talked about that we could talk about this episode. But compared to uh, some of the classic, classic Quiet Please, it's maybe not up there. And I think Tim Quiet makes pleases. a yes. <laughs> Tim makes a very good point that that end feels odd, but it's hard to call it not a classic because of its complexity. So. I just made up lesser classic, and that's what I'm calling it. <laughs> well, you here on episode that. 97, we have now added <laughs> a new category. All right, lesser classic. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. Uh, you'll find other episodes of the podcast there. You'll also find information about our live shows. It's also a great way to get a hold of us. Uh, if there's a contact, the Mysterious Old Radio link you can click on and Send us your requests of things you'd like to hear. It also has uh, links to our Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter, so you can get a hold of us that way. Yes, and if you would like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash themorals. We've got all sorts of great rewards on there, lots of fun stuff. Uh, we are also coming up fast and furious on our 100th episode, and one of our Patreon rewards was if we reached $100 a month, we would do War of the Worlds, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. $100 a month, 100th episode, War of the Worlds is just all coming together to create 
podcast magic is what I <laughs> We haven't recorded it yet, so it could be a disaster. Um, but keep listening I for episode 100. wait. Yeah, Eric keeps saying this, so we got a comment on our Facebook page. Like, oh, I'm getting worried about what they're going to oh, say about worry. War of the Worlds. But I want to remind you again, we've all heard War of the Worlds, but we've gone out of our way not to discuss it amongst ourselves. I actually we need have to no tell idea. you two something I haven't told either of you yet. You've never listened I've to War of the Worlds. Listened. Oh. You are out of this podcast. <laughs> We don't talk, people. We, we get You've together. Never for this heard podcast. it? No. Oh, I've wow. heard it so many times, and I have so many opinions. Guys, episode one hundred just got that much more interesting. <laughs> I will tease this: Joshua and I have very differing opinions on this. We know that, and yeah. now I can't wait to yeah. hear what you think. My opinion will be largely based on which of the two of you I prefer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going out of my way. I bought Eric a book just to yeah. try to. <laughs> persuade him to see my point of view <laughs> what i suspect to be his opinion we've just danced around this yeah yeah no, i just don't we'll talk later yeah hey uh, save it for the podcast oh wait that doesn't work when you're recording a podcast <laughs> we uh have another episode 98 coming up and uh this is coming to us from another listener request from suspense yay called the screaming woman until then look out love you love you See more. Feed me all night long.